You're listening to the Art of Living Well podcast with Father Ian Van Heusen. Welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. In this episode, Father Ian is talking about conscience. So he's going to lay the foundation on what is our conscience. Hope you enjoy. What I wanted to do is I want to test out some ideas on um, for the election for 2020. So I, what I'm thinking about doing, because I got some free time, um, I was having dinner with the family tonight. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. But now I got a little bit of free time back in Greenville. just wanted to take about 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. I'm going to deliver the first sermon. Um, I've got notes prepared. I'm going to go through the notes, kind of discuss it. And then what I want to do is take some Q&A if people have questions. And then you can just respond as if you see this later. I, I just want to flesh out my ideas uh, for these sermons for the 2020 election. So the big thing is the structures is um, I want to give possibly about six sermons. The first sermon I want to do is I want to get into this idea of conscience. So the first one is, well, what is conscience? So I'm just going to jump into this first sermon. The first question is, well, what is conscience? So St. Alphonso Liguori, he distinguishes between what he calls a twofold rule of human acts. So twofold rule of human acts. He says there's the remote rule of human acts, which is the divine law. I think, I, I'm not 100% certain, but I think you could say all law. Like law is the remote rule of human actions. And then there's the proximate rule of human acts, which is our conscience. So I'm going to flesh this out a little bit, but he also defines conscience as a judgment or practical command of reason in which we judge something must be done here and now as good or something must be avoided as evil. So my whole theory that I want to get into, I don't think it's a theory, I think this is sound theology, is that on the level of the individual, the conscience interprets the law and the individual circumstances that someone might face. So there's two aspects of law that I think, so there's kind of laws that prohibit things. So they say thou shalt not. And and clearly in those senses, we're supposed to avoid certain things. But then there's also laws that try to influence our behavior. So, you know, there's their sense of, uh, you know, the, the, you know, thou shalt worship God. You shall love God above all things. Or our Lord commands us in a certain sense to have a care for the poor and an outreach for the poor. But what that looks like in individual circumstances is not clear from the law itself because no law can account for all of the different circumstances. So there's always, it's not just as simple as there's exceptions to the law, but it is that it does involve that there's exceptions to the law. But there's this understanding that laws don't cover all circumstances. So in difficult circumstances, there has to be a kind of interpretation. That's where the conscience gets involved, right? That's why we, we, we need to de- define the doctrine of the conscience is to account for individual circumstances. So the next step, talking in this first sermon is, let me see where we're at for time. We're at a few seconds ago. The next part I want to get into is morality is governed by law. I think this has been lost a lot on a lot of people. And the foundation for morality and right living is law. Now, I think law is an analogous term for for both Jesus and for St. Thomas Aquinas and and within the tradition, because there's the interior laws that our Lord tries to govern us where he says, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's not a a strict, like, to be interpreted literally, but then there's the, the Ten Commandments and things like that, which are understood more exteriorly. The classic formulation for the foundation of all law 
is the Ten Commandments. It's the Old Testament, right? In addition, you know, the historic Christian tradition gave the apostles and their successors the right to promulgate laws for the good of the body of Christ. So there's the laws that are contained within Scripture, and even Jesus himself promoted laws like, you know, you can't get a divorce, right? That's in Matthew's Gospel. There's the Ten Commandments. There's also aspects of the interior law, the work of the Holy Spirit, or the interior, you know, if you if you look at a woman with lust, you've you've committed adultery. And how is that to be interpreted? But then he also gave the apostles the ability to promulgate laws for the good of the body of Christ. The first example we see this, where we see this in scripture is Matthew 18, 17 through 20 says, our Lord says, if he refused to listen to them, tell the church. Now here's what he says. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or tax collector. So he's talking about how do we handle sinners? How do we, ha- how do we handle uh, basically giving things to authority? But he goes, talking about the apostles, he says, Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So there's this definitely this sense of prayer. But the way the church has historically understood this, historic Christianity. So I talk about historic Christianity I mean, the first 300 years, I mean, the first 1,000 years, up until the Protestant Reformation, and the Protestant Reformation has a different interpretation of some of these passages, this has often been understood that the the apostles have been given a certain kind of authority to basically create laws, to govern the people, to govern the body of Christ. And we see this in the early church. We see this in St. Ignatius of Antioch, in different historical sources, where the bishops had a very real authority to bind and loose. Christ gives this authority to his apostles. We also see in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 15, the, the, in that the apostles act as a spiritual government. Literally, they're making laws which are binding on the faithful. But the law, as I said before, cannot cover all actions. There cannot be a law for every circumstance. That is where conscience, and then we're also going to get into a little bit of virtue. That's where these things come in. So, Laws, in a certain sense, can prevent us from doing evil. They can create a certain order and structure. But the true flourishing of the individual is via vis virtue and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So virtue is that sense of those habits, why we we learn to be just, we learn to be prudent, we learn to be temperate. And and then there's those cardinal virtues. And then there's also the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, which perfect the individual and give, give us that inclination towards the good as we overcome sin and the disorders of the heart. And then these virtues are fulfilled in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is the true flourishing of the individual. So it's not just that we say, well, what can I get away with according to the law? There's this interior, interiorizing who Jesus is that's a little bit deeper. We can also talk about having a properly formed conscience. So when we say that voting is a matter of your conscience, it's not willy-nilly do whatever makes you feel good. See, what the church recognizes and what a lot of times we recognize is in the individual circumstances of politics, the law and the, the authority of the apostles can't account for all circumstances. So we can't create a, a, a very strict rule that would govern every circumstance when it comes to go- voting and things like that. Now, I'm going to flesh this out. I would say I, I'm going to double check with theologians and with canon lawyers. 
in a particular circumstance, a bishop or maybe the, the college of bishops could say that voting a certain way could be immoral, but we have to look at that a little bit. I have to flesh it out, like where they could create a particular law that governs a particular situation. Now, in our modern times, voting is a matter of conscience. There's no clear, it's, it's, I hate to say there's no clear right or wrong. There is a clear right or wrong, but there's not a clear obligation because of having to take into account circumstances. So in modern times, with the rise of modern democracies, the bishops in the United States have never created a particular law that forbid the laity from voting for any specific political candidate. So, and the, another key principle, drawing on casuistry and drawing on St. Alphonsus Liguori, is that a doubtful law does not create a certain obligation. It doesn't mean do whatever you want, but where there's a doubt, where there's a doubt of law, that does not create a certain obligation. So that there's different, and I'm going to flesh out the, the guidelines that the bishops have given us and the different theories on voting, which are within the tradition called probable opinions. But in the recent elections, there's not been a strict requirement to vote for any one party over another. So a doubtful law does not create a certain obligation. So I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to flesh out in future um, future sermons and future events in this series some of these ideas, but this is the first idea, the teaching on conscience. So let me go to the comments. Let me talk to folks. Um, anybody have, actually, you know, I wanted to, let me put in a comment. I wanted Glenn, Glenn Webb, your, your views on things because you're in politics and you may not be as familiar with some of this teaching on conscience is this making sense? Have everybody been able to follow the arguments? Um, let's see. I might log off in a few minutes if people don't have any questions or if giving everybody a moment to catch up. Let's see. How long are we at? So it's eight minutes. So that's about good for a sermon length. So it's, it's going to be about five to seven, eight minutes long for this first sermon. I'm going to go ahead and log off. Um, I'll just respond in the comments section. But thank you guys who viewed in. Um, let me know if it makes sense. So it's the first sermon. I'm planning about six sermons in the series. Um, and, and I just wanted to test out the first one. All right. Thanks.